hope, I hope I never um, become callous to being touched by the notion of being a child of God. Uh, that is just a, an image that I really, really resonate with. Happy Sabbath, everyone, and uh, I extend my own welcome to our, our worship service today. And uh, we're glad that, uh, that you're part of our, our live stream here with us. Before we get into our, our, our time with God's Word, I wanted to just say a few things about the idea of reopening. Uh, we have been living in a very difficult, somewhat bewildering, kind of elusive to get a hold of phase here in our, our church life. And, um, and it continues to be so and will continue to be so for a little while longer. It's hard to even know where to begin to kind of tell you uh, in regards to reopening. Uh, first of all, if you probably are aware, the state of Oregon has set guidelines on how to reopen in a phase one. And uh, it's a fairly restrictive phase. And most of the counties of Oregon have applied for that and have been approved to kind of move into that as of next week, but three counties didn't even apply, and that includes our own county, Washington, Multnomah, and Clackamas County. And so we aren't even there yet. In fact, as the latest news, Washington County is working on a plan, and they're hoping to submit the proposal to reopen in phase one at the 1st of June. And so we are tied to that uh, in many ways. Last Thursday, we as pastors, um, a large community of pastors from all over the Oregon Conference, had a, uh, a Zoom video conference with the, uh, with the Oregon Conference leadership to kind of unpack a document they provided for us, five pages on reopening guidelines. And, uh, and they are um, there, there's, there's many of them that are perfectly reasonable. There's some that are kind of birthed, I think, in the overabundance of caution. Uh, but here are the guidelines that we have been given. And, uh, and they are, I'll be frank with you, a little intimidating to know how to pull this off. So I want you to know this. Uh, I don't know exactly when we'll reopen. But right now, that document has been put into the hands of all of our pastoral assistants and church board members. We have a church board this coming Tuesday evening through Zoom video conference, and uh, the request is that all of this leadership, <clears throat> and we'll share it with others soon, but all that leadership spend some time with that document, uh, understanding it, so that we can begin to have the conversation on when it makes sense for us to begin reopening. Uh, on Friday, Governor Brown made an exception for churches. It's a very limited exception, but there was an exception, and that was to say this, that, that all churches in the state of Oregon, whether or not the county has been approved for reopening phase one, are given permission to meet with all sorts of restriction and guidelines, but, but, but we are following the Oregon Conference guidelines, so permission to meet up to 25 people with uh, social distancing, contact tracing, all the proper, uh, you know, all these things going on. And, uh, and that really is kind of good to see that door crack open for churches. However, 
It doesn't accomplish too much for us as a church uh, because just to run the bare bones live stream that we're doing right now has taken 10, 8, 10, 12 people. And so that just allows for another maybe dozen people, 10 people to come to church. And all that really accomplishes for us as long as we want to continue to provide live stream is just relax those who are coming to serve you in this way. But there are challenges to be sure that we have to figure out how to take the Oregon Conference guidelines tied to the state of Oregon's kind of approvals and figure out how to implement them. And they are challenging, to say the least. Uh, things like having personal protective equipment in place, mask, gloves, hand sanitizers, uh, monitoring social distancing, contact tracing, um, how greeting happens in the foyer um, can't happen in the same way. The recommendation is that we don't have children's Sabbath schools right now. Schools aren't in session, neither should Sabbath schools be in session. Um, even things such as uh, time frames. You can meet for 90 minutes, and that's all. Until two hours pass and everything is sanitized with proper sanitation, and then another group of up to 25 could meet. And so there's all kinds of challenges and questions on how we relate to the guidelines, and, uh, and, and we need some time to do that. So, so listen, Washington County hasn't really reopened. Our church leadership, not just the church board, audiovisual, greeting ministry, Sabbath schools, all these different departments need to think through how do we have our own plan on how to implement all these things. And so I'm just wanting to reflect to you that we don't have a hard date right now. We don't know when it makes sense for us to reopen. But we're working on it, and the door is open, and information is coming, and, uh, and we need your prayers because we want to make wise decisions because um, God, God forbid that we make unwise decisions and, uh, and people in our church family uh, contract this virus and awful things happen. And so we want to fall in line uh, with the guidance that is given the best that we can. And uh, fortunately, it's nice. We have information to work with now. And so that is giving us the ability to begin to move forward and to figure out how this is all going to come together. Okay, that's the best I can do with that. More to come later. Right now, let's, uh, let's set all that aside and turn to God's Word. I'm tying in to last Sabbath, although I'm not going to give a big summary of last Sabbath. If you missed last Sabbath and you feel like that you kind of are... Uh, not sure how they fit together. It's available to you uh, in recorded fashion. I invite you to kind of check that out. Before we pray, let me kind of set up this Sabbath in this way. It is entirely understandable that when believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, just like you, just like me, when we want to consider last day events that lead to Jesus' soon return, we find ourselves going to the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation. And that is entirely understandable because there, there is so much to be gained from those main core prophetic books. There's so much in those books that do help us understand 
God's plan for how this world will advance towards his second coming and even beyond his second coming into the earth made new. You go back to the book of Daniel and Daniel's prophecies. They do. It reveals the progression of of world empires. It reveals and affirms the true identity of Jesus, God the Son. And it even reveals God's actions for the very last days. It's all there and it's understandable that we would go there when we're thinking about Jesus' second coming. We go to the book of Revelation that is built in significant ways on the book of Daniel. And in Revelation, there as well as Daniel, we have this, the, the images of beasts representing ruling powers. We, we have the, the seven churches in one way revealing the progression of church history. We have things like the seven last plagues, the seven trumpets. And, and we even have information in the book of Revelation about major issues that will confront God's people in the very last days. Not just the the things that will go on in the physical world, but the things that will go on in the cultural, political, religious world. We have information about the things that will confront God's people in the very last days, such as honoring God's law, in tucked in there, Sabbath issues. And of course, most importantly, the book of Revelation points us to hold on to our faith in Jesus. And so absolutely, in a very real way, these books point us to the the movements that, that lead us in these last days and the issues that will be present upon the planet. Daniel and Revelation, they have a real emphasis on the whole world's condition in terms of the last days. But when thinking about Jesus' second coming and the time of the end, the end of the age, we often overlook another end time section of the Bible. And this particular section is given directly from Jesus to his followers. Where is that section that we often don't spend as much time in That's Matthew 24 and 25. Now you may say, no, we talk about Matthew 24 all the time. No, we talk about the first part of Matthew 24 all the time when we think about the last days. But the latter part of Matthew 24 and the entirety of Matthew 25, they're not really talking any longer about world movements of of end time political and religious issues that will move towards the coming of Jesus. No, no. Following that well-known early part of Matthew 24, Jesus then changes his tone and he looks to his followers and he speaks directly to his followers in parable form about how to be ready for Jesus' return. Not about the things that will lead up to his return, but how to be ready for his return. These four parables, the very end of Matthew 25, or 24 and then Matthew 25, are given in the context of the second coming. And they relate to us how to live faithfully as we watch and wait for his return. This is the content I want to spend time today and in the next few Sabbaths. Uh, Before we go any further, I think it's wise to, to pray. Let's have a word of prayer. Our God in heaven, 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the entirety of your word. Thank you for the prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation and all that they afford us. Lord, thank you for the content we're going to look at more specifically today. And Lord, today's message is, is kind of Bible text heavy. There's a lot of scripture, but your word brings life. But sometimes it's hard to really dial in to not just a little text here and there, but real content of your word. And I pray that you give us that gift today in our homes, wherever we may be, the few of us here. Lord, help our ears tune to your word and really hear the fundamental core message that you have for us. So Lord, more of you and less of me. I pray that your word would go forth and produce good fruit in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. I want to begin this way. I want to ask you to follow the Matthew 24 outline with me for just a few minutes. Here's kind of how Matthew 24 goes. Jesus sees the temple in Jerusalem and he says, this temple will be destroyed. The disciples conflate this with the end of the age, the end of the world. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And even though they didn't really understand what they were asking, Jesus answers what they ask and his response intertwines information, indicators of both the the near future for them of the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the far future second coming of his return. So Jesus says things like this, indicators of, of, of what world will be like when these things come to pass. He speaks about false Christ. He talks about wars and rumors of wars, famines and diseases, all indicating just the very beginning of birth pains, of of labor pains, that image of of a woman just beginning to really labor to give birth. Jesus talks about tribulations and false prophets. And and he speaks of the best of the signs, as it were, that the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ alone will be preached to the whole world. Jesus then gives them the signal from when they are to flee Judea because Rome would lay siege upon the city prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. And then thinking further into the future, Jesus starts to speak of his second coming, his return. And he speaks words like this, like lightning from the east to the west, so will my return be. And then he gives that one true definite sign. The only sign that you can 100% hang your hat on and say Jesus is absolutely coming at this time. That one true sign that Jesus gave, we talked about it last Sabbath, is that they will actually see his coming. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of, of heaven with power and with great glory. And then the description Jesus gives, and the angels will gather together the redeemed to enter in to the blessed eternity with God. Now Jesus uses an image that they certainly understood and and we can simply understand as well. This is what Jesus says next. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Jesus says, just like when a tree begins to to put forth buds and new leaves and tender new branches, you know that summer is coming. 
Jesus is telling us that, that we can have a sense that the conditions of this world are telling us that Jesus is coming again, and his coming seems soon, but he will come in his time. Jesus says, we can be aware that Jesus is at the door. But then, in the very next thought, Jesus says, but don't bother trying to set a time. In the very next thought, he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You can know Jesus is coming. You can even have a sense that it's soon, that it's near. But you cannot truly know the timing in advance. Follow the progression. Because what happens next is Jesus then talks about the, the days of Noah will be a, 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 the, the way things were in the days of Noah, it will also be in the last days. And then Jesus says, according to Matthew's reporting of his words, he says these words. This is what Jesus says next. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what, the, the, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. After everything Jesus has said, all of those indicators of what, what the world will be like. And after he says, you, may, you can know that it's Soon, at the door, you can have this sense of urgency, but you won't know the time or the hour. His next thought, with all of that in mind, is watch and be ready. And here again is an image that portrays being ready. He simply says this, if a homeowner knew that a thief was going to break in on a certain day at a certain hour, certainly that homeowner would be ready. It's odd to kind of analogize Jesus with a thief. It's not saying Jesus is coming to do ill, but it is emphasizing, listen, if you knew a thief was coming, you would be ready. That is to say, you can know that Jesus is coming so that you can be ready. So when Jesus says, watch and be ready, he's telling us, you can do that. You can live a life of readiness. You don't know the hour, but we do know he will come. You can even know that it's near. So he says, be ready, be watching in readiness. Now, we just followed through a progression of Matthew 24. Why did we do that? Well, let me answer that with some more questions. The first question is this. Is Matthew 24 very much about the last days and Jesus' is coming? Yeah, absolutely. That's what the context of the chapter is. No question. Matthew 24 is very much about the last days and Jesus' is coming. Next question. Did Jesus distill down in his presentation? Did he distill down his words and reveal to us what matters most for his followers? Yeah, I think he has. It's right there. 
He, he, he speaks all these big ideas. And then he gets down to the real core of it all. What mattered most to Jesus in this context of last days and his return, what mattered most to Jesus was not knowing when he would come. What mattered most to Jesus was, will you be watchful and ready? Jesus' main concern was not that we know when, but that we know how to watch in readiness. In other words, his main concern for his followers was that we would live this life ready for his coming. And then what follows are those four parables that I mentioned earlier. Four parables that you probably know quite well. The parable of the unwise, unfaithful, faithful, wise servants. The parable of the ten virgins. The parable of the talents. And the parable of the sheeps and the goats. We know these parables fairly well, most of us to be sure. But you and I, we could miss their full impact if we don't hear them in the way Jesus wants us to hear them. They don't stand by themselves. Jesus is telling these parables in a very specific way. Jesus had on his mind when he was telling these parables the importance of living in watchful readiness for his return. That's what was on his mind. I will come again. Will you be ready? Let me tell you four parables that will help you know how to be ready. And so we should hear those parables with that same mindset. If we want to hear what Jesus was really intending to tell us in those parables. So today I want to look at actually the first and the fourth of these parables. The next couple Sabbaths, we'll look at the second and the third. And I, and I don't want to, to drill down into absolutely every single nuance and squeeze out every single possible teaching from these parables. I just want us to listen for the main idea that Jesus wanted us to hear. And the reason I want us to do that is because the main idea of each parable reveals to you and to me important truths about watching in readiness for Jesus' return. The first parable is found immediately following this image of a, a thief in the night. It's in Matthew 24, verses 44 to 51. And, and here's how the parable reads. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him. And at an hour that he's not aware of and will 
cut him in two and appoint him his appoint him his portion with the hypocrites there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth Jesus didn't often speak this strongly so when he does we should probably listen what do we have here take note of just the highlights Jesus says be ready And then he shares a story to tell us something important about being ready. We have a wise and a faithful servant. His master set him in charge of the household in his absence. And his main responsibility was to provide food for the household as they needed. The wise and the faithful servant is blessed by the master when he returns, because when the master returned, he found the servant doing the very responsibility he was given to do. And his blessing is that he was further brought into the the household, if you will. Now, this same servant could act unwisely, and it would play out very differently. The unwise servant given the same responsibility of providing for the household in the master's absence, but the unwise, unfaithful servant makes a huge mistake. His mistake is this. He thinks to himself, my master will come back, but not anytime soon. Notice the unwise, unfaithful servant. He doesn't say, ah, he's not coming back. No, he does say he will come back, but he just becomes complacent and assumes he'll come back, but not for a long time from now. And that was his mistake. In that frame of mind, in that posture of of heart and soul in relation to Jesus, the master, this idea in the parable of returning... In that posture of not being in watchful readiness, the unwind servant begins to beat the others in the household and to associate with the drunkards in their eating and their drinking. And though the unwise servant assumed that the the master wouldn't return for a very long time, the master still comes when the master decided to come. The master's return catches the unwise servant servant by surprise. And boy, there's no blessing for him. There's harsh results. Cut into, counted with the lost hypocrites. And there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, meaning there is anger and anguish and pain. And do you know that in the book of Mark, Mark recounts Jesus' essentially telling this same parable, but Mark ends it with this phrase, and what I say to you, Jesus, he ends the story, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Do you think when Jesus had the word all in mind that he could see beyond just the immediate group that was listening? What I say to you, right here, right now, I say to all who will ever follow me. Watch. So what is Jesus telling us here about being ready? Being watchful in readiness is very much about doing what we've been given to do. 
Being ready is very much about living, doing the job that the master has given us to do. And of course, we know that in order to be saved, we must put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, and we must recognize with clarity that His grace working in us is what enables us to do the things He's been asking us to do. In this parable's teaching, watching in readiness is not about knowing when Jesus is coming. I want to unpack that just a little bit. Watching in readiness is not about being overly focused on the indicators and the signs of Jesus' coming. Watching in readiness is not about being super informed of all political movements and, and religious power movements that are going on in the world. Watching in readiness is, is not even about searching the news of the day for evidences of prophecy fulfilled, accurately fulfilled, or even the conspiracy fulfillments. Watching in readiness is not about diving deep into conspiracies. Listen, knowing prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus is not really what places us in a state of readiness for his return. Knowing the prophecies is not really what places us in readiness. You know what those prophecies do? Knowing the prophecies of Jesus' return and the last days allows us to not live in darkness, but live in the light of his word. It allows us to know that he is coming again and he is at the door. That's what they do for us. And the blessing of not being in darkness, but living in the light of his word, knowing that Jesus is coming again, what that knowledge really does for us, it ought to make us much more motivated to then watch in readiness for his return. And listen carefully. Watching in readiness is about daily living out the life of our master Jesus the life that he's given us to live right here, right now. We live the life of Jesus has given to us by the power of his grace working in us. It's not our life, it's his life in us. But watching in readiness is about living the life Jesus has asked us to live as his followers. So boy, does that raise a very important question. What has the master, Jesus, given us to do as his servants while he is away? While we watch for his return, what has he given us to do? There are lots of passages of the Bible that, that we could go to to build out a really full answer to that question. But I want to stay very much in the context of, of this watching and readiness motif of Scripture. And I, and I just say this, we'll get there in a moment. I think the fourth parable Jesus shared at the close of Matthew 25 is very much the explanation of what responsibility the Master Jesus has given that we need to be found doing when He returns. 
But before we go there, can I, can I take just a moment to show you some words from the Apostle Paul who wrote also about this very thing of being watchful in readiness. It's in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is very much, very much on the topic of the second coming. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is, is where we find this very familiar second advent passage that we all hold so dear. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's the good news of that. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another in these words. No question. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is on the topic of the second coming of Jesus. And then what Paul writes next ties right back into the teaching that we just heard Jesus share about the thief, about being watchful, being ready, even about the servants. You can easily see the connection. I'm just going to read through these verses and I invite you to, to hear the connections that Paul certainly had been informed of what Jesus had taught and he is now reflecting on it as well under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Do you hear the connections? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Can you see how Paul is referencing Jesus' words that we just looked at in Matthew 24? Thief coming in the night, peace and safety, signs that are the beginning of labor, pains, that image of pregnancy, being watching in soberness, not in drunkenness. No question in my mind that what Paul is about to write, his context is Jesus' context from Matthew 24. He's thinking about the wise and faithful and unwise, unfaithful servant. And then Paul begins to lay out what those who are in the light of Jesus ought to be doing in order to be watching in readiness. Listen to what comes next. In that context of readiness, Paul begins to say words like these. Verses 8 to 11. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Paul begins to say, those that are in watchful readiness will put on faith, will embrace the hope of salvation found in Jesus, 
We'll put on love. And we'll be those who comfort others who need comfort. We'll edify or build up others who need built up. And Paul continues. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourself. Just get the main idea here. He continues unpacking the type of life that is watching and readiness. And, and here he says, brethren, the main idea is just support those whom God has placed in spiritual leadership. And, and accept when they offer instruction and offer caution. And, and be at peace with others. And he continues to describe those who are watching in readiness. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, so that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. With love, warn those who are losing their faith. Comfort those whose hearts are failing, fainting. Don't respond to evil with evil. And pursue what is good for yourself and for others. And then finally, Paul concludes his words on watching and readiness with these verses. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul says this is watching and readiness. Be joyful. Pray often. Be thankful. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's guidance. Embrace the prophetic voice. Be wise and take hold of that which is good. And be wise and step away from every evil. Paul has described for us the wise, faithful servant of Jesus who is watching in readiness. And there was a lot that we could talk about in those verses, but did you notice how much of those verses was about others and not self? How much the emphasis was how you treat others? Listen, watching in readiness is very much about how we treat others. Watching in readiness, according to what Jesus is teaching us and Paul just reflected upon, is very much about how we are treating others. Those who are ready for Jesus' return are those who are treating others well. Others within the household of God and those who are outside of the household of God. And this takes us back to the last of the four parables. It's a long parable, but we're going to breeze through it to just get the core idea. The last of the four parables that Jesus told, specifically to teach us about how to be in watchful readiness, he sets up the parable this way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels are with him, he just told us that's the day of his return. We shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory with his angels. When that day happens, then Jesus, he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another 
from one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. This is how Jesus sets up what he's about to share this parable. This is not parable. This is prophetic glimpse into what will be. The parable is to explain that to us in words that we could understand. When Jesus comes, he'll bring judgment with him. There will be a separation of all people at that time. And in this parable, the wise, faithful servants who are found ready when Jesus returns, they are the sheep. But the unwise, unfaithful servant who were complacent and found not ready, in this parable, they are the goats. Now, I'm about to read Jesus' parable about being watchful and readiness. And I want you to just see being ready is very much about living out the heart of Jesus and how we treat others. This is a little more Bible reading than normal, but listen to Jesus' parable. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Then those that were watching in readiness will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to, the, to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then the parable turns to the left hand. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, those that were watchful in readiness, into eternal life. Being watchful in readiness is very much how we live out the heart of Jesus and treat others. Let's just focus on the positive side of that parable for a moment. The sheep who are deemed ready because they've been watchful. They've been found doing what the master asked them to do. They are the ones that enter into eternal life. Who are the sheep? The sheep are those who provided nourishment for those who are hungry. That absolutely means real food to people who are really hungry, but it also means spiritual food to people who are spiritually hungry. Jesus is the bread of life. Who are those that were watching in readiness? Those are the ones who offer drink to those who are thirsting. And it absolutely means real beverage, real drink for people who are really thirsty, but it also means spiritual drink for people who are spiritually thirsty. Jesus is the living water. Those who accept the stranger into their lives. Those that were watching in readiness are the ones that embrace others. 
both providing maybe actual shelter, but certainly spiritual shelter. Jesus says, let them come to me. Who are those that were ready and watching in readiness? Those who gave clothing to those who needed clothing. And absolutely, that means real clothing to people that need clothing. But it also means guiding them to the spiritual clothing for their nakedness of sin. For the robe of Jesus is the robe of righteousness that brings salvation. Who are those that are ready to step into eternal life? Those who try to bring healing to the sick. Absolutely. Literal care. For people that are physically sick, but spiritual care for spiritual sickness, Jesus offers healing for the soul and abundant life. And finally, who are those in this parable that are ready? Those who come near to the souls who are in bondage. And yes, give an opportunity. It means visiting those who are literally incarcerated for the crimes they've committed. But it also means coming close to those who are in spiritual bondage of sin Jesus came to set those prisoners free. Those who live a life serving others are those who are living this life in watchful readiness. What we do for others, we do for Jesus. This is what Jesus, the Master, has given us to do while we wait in expectation for His return. A person may know all the prophecies, all the charts. A person may know all of the signs. A person may have mastered the details of Daniel and Revelation. But if his life is inherently self-centered, he may be found not ready for Jesus' return. Others may not know very much about all of that. They might not know much about the prophecies. But if they know that Jesus will return. And even in their lack of knowledge of all that blessed information that takes us from darkness to light. Even if they don't have all the light that others may have. But they're living a life that is other focused. They are the ones that are likely to be found ready. On the day of Jesus' return. There's a lot to think about, and I hope it bears fruit in our lives. I want to close with these words penned in the book, The Desire of Ages, and it's taken from a little section that is a reflection on the parable of the sheep and the goats. I just want you to hear it put this way. Love to man is the earthward manifestation of of the love of God. It was to implant this love to make us children of one family that the King of glory became one with us. And when his parting words are fulfilled, love one another as I have loved you, when we love the world as he loved it, then for us, his mission is accomplished. We are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, Jesus our Savior, 
Spirit, our guide, we thank you that the promise of your return is sure and we live in expectant, watchful readiness. I pray that you help each of us to know how to better live this life, the kind of life that is doing what you've asked us to do while we wait. Lord, it is by default that we become self-centered. And I pray through the working of your grace and the guidance of your spirit that you would begin to move us more fully to being less self-centered and much more other-centered. For it is in serving others that we reflect your heart in this life. And that's the kind of wise, faithful servant we want to be. In your name we pray. Amen.